So this morning, I'm going to talk to you about a prayer. Kind of fitting that Darnell's here with 24-7 prayer. I'm going to be talking about a prayer. It's a prayer that's been said millions of times in the last 2,000 years. It's a prayer that the early church prayed three times a day. It's a prayer that was prayed that's been prayed in Renaissance Europe in grand, beautiful, brand new cathedrals. It's a prayer that's been prayed in underground churches across the world, persecuted churches trying to survive. It's a prayer that is probably being prayed right now by countless congregations just like us around the world. Of course, I'm talking about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. If you're like me and you grew up in a mainline church, that means you prayed this prayer every Sunday of your life and you mumbled your way through it without even really thinking about it. Probably the only way I thought about it was whether I cared more about trespasses or sins or debts. I was a trespass person. I I liked that one. But we mumble our way through it, but what we'll find, friends, is that this prayer is pure magic. There's goodness and beauty and truth in this prayer. This prayer is a, is a reordering and restructuring of our belief system. This prayer is a reorientation of what Jesus, how Jesus wants us to see God and see the world around us and how, how Jesus wants us to interact with the world around us. This prayer is a statement of values. It's a statement of faith. This prayer is, a, is an exhortation in a way that God wants us to live. This prayer was in the Didache, which is this manual, basically called the Teaching of the Twelve Apostles, and it's the first piece of teaching that the early church had before the Scriptures was the Didache. And in the Didache, it, told, it had this prayer, and it said, pray this three times per day, which is a very Jewish thing to do, to pray three times a day. But see, now we have our rabbi's prayer, the rabbi's prayer. A rabbi getting up and teaching his, his, his disciples how to pray, or even this act of what we find in the book of Luke, the, the disciples saying, Rabbi, teach us how to pray. That was a normal thing in the ancient Judaism 2,000 years ago in this Judean region. It was a normal thing for, for a rabbi to teach his disciples how to pray. And it was a normal thing, but also, also what came with it was when the, with this prayer of a rabbi... It was basically a proclamation of that rabbi's value system, that, how that rabbi saw God and saw the universe and reality in this world that we live in. It was a bit of like what we have in churches today, statements of faith. So it was not an unusual thing, but this prayer itself is a very unusual 
kind of prayer. So let's dive in. This isn't, we're still in the book of, book of Matthew, Matthew 6. We've been in this sermon series called The, the Way of Jesus, and we're going to be in the, the sermon series called The Way of Jesus into 2022. And we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, this foundational teaching of the Scripture that Jesus gives us. And we find in Matthew 6, last week we kind of hopped around and we started Matthew 6 and then we skipped over this because the Lord's Prayer is its own teaching. This is kind of two sermons that I'm trying to smash into one, but it's its its own thing. So in Matthew 6, verse 7, Jesus said, And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray like a good rabbi does. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. So let's, let's just dive in and take this, this prayer that's been prayed millions of times and that we've prayed ad nauseum. Let's just take it apart line by line and see what Jesus is saying in this prayer that Rabbi Jesus gives us. So first we have our Father. Our Father. Let's pause there for a second. Now, a couple of things here. Our When Jesus says, this is how I want you to pray, he doesn't say, my Father. He says, our Father. See, even just this first word here is supposed to teach us and to to open our eyes to see this whole journey of faith that we within Protestantism and even within evangelicalism make into this really evangelical or individual personal faith journey. And Jesus is saying it's not. It's not an individual, personal thing. It's, it can be, but really this is a communal, universal word. Our Father. Not just your Father. Not just my Father. Ours. And not just my, our people's Father, but all people's Father. Our Father. Now, my wife and I have some friends from... Uh, School friends where our kids went, went to school together and we became friends. It's what happens when, when you have kids. Sorry, this mic is sliding up and down. But they're Catholic, but they're really fascinated by the church that we lead and everything. So they came here, I don't know, probably six or seven years ago. They came, they visited, and the wife said her, her, one of her bits of feedback was, man, there were a lot of male pronouns thrown around. And I, I mean, she was talking about me, so I was a little offended, right? Like, I'm just reading the Bible, dude. Like, come on. Come on. Male pronouns. Funny thing is, my faith has evolved to a place where I now have that same kind of discomfort with so many male pronouns in our faith journey that you hear people like me say over and over again that God is a man, he 
he father him? Because the reality is, is that God is not male and God is not female. God is completely other than our human categories. Are you with me? And so that means that every word we use to refer to God, to the divine life that is the ground of all of our being, every word we use to refer to God is metaphor. So the word father is metaphor. It's why my, my, my discomfort with all the masculine pronouns and is rooted in this idea that God is not pure masculinity. God is both fully masculine and fully feminine, both and, and that means that all of us have been created in the image of God, male and female. It's why you'll hear me sometimes, maybe some of you are like, wait, what did he say? When I refer to the Holy Spirit, I refer to she or her. It's not because I'm some neoliberal, you know, want to write off all this stuff. It's because it's biblical. It's because the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. And the Hebrew word ruach is feminine. So ancient Jews saw the spirit as she, as her. It's just biblical. And it helps me to know that you sisters of mine are created in the image of God and have full place right in the life of the Holy Trinity. But... I can't get away from this idea and this word father either. For one, because Jesus told us to call God father. It's not the only word, but it's a word that Jesus told us to use. And here's where I think Jesus is getting specific. Our father. So basically Jesus is saying, at the beginning of your story is a divine life. At the beginning of your humanity, of your existence, is this divine life that is the ground of your being, that sustains your being. And it's not just this aloof, transcendent divine life that's kind of this deistic, I'm up here, you're down here, and I don't care about anything that, has this, that goes on in your world. See, what this divine life that's at the beginning of your story is a parent. It's, 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 a, it's a father. I'm a father. I have four kids. And the reality that I'm a father isn't, I don't see myself as a father just because I donated sperm. Because I caused this thing to, I'm, I was part of this thing that happened that gave birth to this child. That's not being a father, it's being a sperm donor. See, being a father is living my life for my kids. Being a parent means my life is no longer my own. I I, I love my kids with this ferocity and this intensity that I never knew existed. That it causes me to well up with tears when I think about my kids and my hopes and my dreams for their goodness and their success and their, and their discovering who they are in this world and their discovering who God is and how much God loves them and how much he's, God is for them. It Being a father, being a mother is way more than this mechanical, biological thing that happens. It's an intimate, personal, parental thing. And Jesus is saying, this is the ground and the source of your humanity, of your being. There is a father, there is a parent, a divine parent who loves you. 
First and foremost, this is who God is. And this is who you are because of it. And it's not just you, because it's not my Father, it's our Father. Whether you realize it or not, there's a divine life that's at the source of your being. Our Father, and then Jesus says, in heaven. In heaven. Our Father in heaven. And what Jesus is saying when he says, our Father in heaven, is that there's more to this world than just this world, right? When he says our Father in heaven, Jesus isn't just speaking to this location where this divine life exists. Jesus is is speaking to this reality that there's more to this world than just this world. There is a place where the ideal exists. There is a place called heaven where, where poverty is no more. There is a place where orphans and widows find family. There is a place where, where refugees find home and find it beautiful and, and find it safe. There is a place where death doesn't exist. There is a place where we're not pulled apart anymore, but we're drawn together. There is a place where the, what all that you long for and hope for and, and feel like you're, you've been created for, where it finds its fulfillment, it's in heaven. Our Father in heaven, in this place that God dreams of bringing to earth, but we'll pause there because there's more to that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Now, in the ancient Near East, in the ancient Judaism, a person's name was everything to them. In ancient Judaism, a a person's name stood for their reputation and their identity and their their overall goodness and success. A person's name was highly valued. In Proverbs 22, the the, the, the teacher of the Proverbs, the writer of the Proverbs said, a good name is more desirable than great riches. And so when we say, our Father in heaven, holy or hallowed is your name, we're saying, Father in heaven, Mother in heaven, you are altogether holy and righteous and good. You are altogether holy and righteous and good. There is no sin or brokenness or evil found in you. There is no, there is, there is no, nothing in you that is of, of the enemy. You are altogether good and righteous and faithful Hallowed be your name. Your reputation precedes you. This harkens back, Jesus is kind of bringing us back to the second commandment. What's the second commandment? Come on, guys. Maybe online, you guys live streaming, anybody know the second commandment? Do not take the name of the Lord that God in vain. Come on, let's go back to Sunday school, friends. Catechism, do not take the name of the Lord that God in vain. Now see, when we hear that, we were taught and think that it's all about, like, don't say OMG, don't say, don't say, don't, don't take the name of the Lord that God in vain. When, you, when you're, my daughter says, oh my God, I got to freak out as a, as a pastor because that, you're, she's not allowed to say that. That's not really what it means to profane the name of God. 
The prophet Ezekiel taught that to profane the name of God meant to, to act and live out in a broken, sinful, evil sort of way. That when we, when we operate and live out on the side of the enemy, when we, when we get out of this life of the kingdom, life of our Father, life of our divine source of being, that that is when we are actually profaning the name of God. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Then he says this two a couple of words, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Now see, this is where the prayer starts getting political. This is where the prayer starts getting dangerous. See, because the ancient Israelites knew kingdoms. They knew what it meant to be ruled by kingdoms and empires. We just went through the book of Daniel where the ancient Israelites were taken captive by the Babylonians and robbed of their national and religious and ethnic identity and and forced to be good Babylonians. And then who came along? What was the next kingdom that came along after Babylon? Somebody said Persia, I'm sure of it. Persia comes along, and now they are the kingdom over the Israelites. And then Persia lets them go, and then who's next? The Greeks come along, and they're even worse than the, the two before. And then comes along the Roman Empire, the kingdom of the Roman, Roman Empire. And th- to, to be an ancient Jewish person is to know that there are kingdoms that, that bend our knee and that get us to bow our knees, and kingdoms that, that oppress us and are over us. And even within the Roman Empire... There was, they, they, they nominated this Herodian dynasty to rule over and to kind of steward the region of Judea. And the father of this Herodian dynasty, his name was Herod the Great. He's the one that when Jesus was born and the wise men come to Herod the Great and they hear of this new king that's been born, he says, I got to kill every single little boy that's been born because I don't want a king to come and threaten my kingdom, right? So he turns... God in the flesh and in the holy family into refugees that are running for their lives to another country. When you see what's happening in Afghanistan, don't just see a removed, far-off people. See Jesus. Your kingdom come. And Herod the Great had three sons who got parts of his kingdom and the part of his kingdom that that Jesus and his disciples lived in was ruled by Herod Agrippa. And Herod Agrippa was an evil guy. He was an evil king. He's the guy who beheaded John the Baptist because John the Baptist was speaking things that was threatening his authority and his, his power. And he said, off with his head. So when Jesus said, pray this, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom Come, people probably looked around and said, this guy's trying to get himself killed. Because everybody knows there's, one, there's a couple of kingdoms in town, and they don't share power very easily. The Herodian dynasty is very insecure, and will cut, chop your cousin's head off, and you're next. The Roman Empire doesn't take kindly to saying that there's another Lord besides Caesar, and Jesus said, I came to bring a kingdom. There's another kingdom, and you better be longing for it and praying for it to come about no matter which kingdom you're living in. 
Are you listening now? Because we live in a kingdom. Which kingdom? The question is, not whether you live in a kingdom, whether Jesus came to bring a kingdom. The kingdom is, which kingdom has your allegiance? Which kingdom has your faithfulness? Jesus asked it 2,000 years ago, and he's asking it today. Your kingdom come. See, when Jesus says your kingdom come, it means there's a better way to order reality than what we know. There's a better way to live than what we see around us. There's a better way to order things. And it's God and His kingdom, how God wants to order things. There's a better way to order things than Democrats and Republicans trying to squeeze the life out of each other all the time. There's a better way. There's a better way than a refugee crisis at the border where, where brown people are still being whipped by white men on horses. There's a better way. There's a better way than a refugee crisis happening in Afghanistan, decentralizing and, and disrupting families' lives. There's a better way, and it's called Jesus and his kingdom. And so when you pray this prayer and say, your kingdom come, you're praying something subversive. You're saying that inherently there's a better way to order this place. And I want to live in that way. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, and here we go, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now this is where we come back to this idea that there is a place where the ideal exists. There is a place where beauty and life are, are, are the constants, not brokenness and ugliness. There is this place where, where we're not identified by, by our political party and by partisanship and where everything's politicized, but there is a place where it's just us. There is a place where the ideal exists, and Jesus is saying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What matters on earth what happens on earth matters. This brand of Christianity that many of us have been given, that, is, that, that, that Christianity is just these words to say to get you in, out, of, out of hell for eternity and into heaven for eternity and nothing here matters. We just wait to be beamed up to heaven. That's an unbiblical, unchristlike form of Christianity, see, because Jesus cares about what happens here on earth. He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, when we pray, let heaven come, it is about letting, letting the Spirit of God invade all these places and spaces and filling them with supernatural power and beauty and glory. But that doesn't stop there, my charismatic friends. Letting heaven come to earth as it is in heaven, come to earth as it is in heaven means justice and freedom and liberation come to earth as it is in heaven. It means that all our, all our tribalism is done away with because, see, in Revelation, this vision of heaven is that every tongue and tribe and nation and creed will come together and bow our knees together and sing the, sing the praises of the almighty everlasting God. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you're... you're, you're 
you're asking God to do something, but you're also saying, and I'm going to do it with you. This is not some involuntary prayer that Jesus is asking us to pray and just hope that it comes about. Jesus is all, God is all about partnership. So if we have this, this will and this, this, this dream of God's will being done in my family, in my life, in my school, in my workplace, in my church, in my community, in my neighborhood, in my city, in my nation, in this world. If we dream of God's will being, being brought about on earth as it is in heaven, that means I better live out God's will. That means every decision I make needs to be said, how does God's kingdom come about through this decision? How does God's will come about through this interaction and this conversation? My neighbors now are different to me. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we come to halftime. We come to the halfway point of the prayer. You still, still good? Anybody need to like stand up, stretch out? Halfway. And now what's interesting is that the, the pronouns are going to switch in here. The prayer switches in emphasis. See, the first half of the prayer, it's all about God, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your, all of this stuff about you, God. This is who you are, and this is what we want. And now the pronouns are going to switch to give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. This group of three on both sides, three about God, three about us. And it has something to do, this order has something to do with Jesus, what Jesus said, don't be like the pagans in where they babble their prayers and they think that the more words they speak in their prayers, the holier they are. It's, there's order here. So now we flip from God's focused on God to focused on us and Jesus says, begins and he says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Now this here, friends, it's interesting the way Jesus told us to ask God for daily bread. This isn't some feeble, fear-based, uh, God, if you see fit, could you give us some bread today? Could you provide for us? This here in the Greek is an imperative. And that means it's a command. Give me my bread today, please. It's, 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 it's forceful. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, God, give me bread. Interesting the way Jesus told us to interact with God and to ask for things. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, a couple things. When we talk about daily bread, the Jewish imagination would have instantly gone back to the... The, the Israelite people being delivered from the Egyptians and God delivers them and he brings them through the wilderness. And how does, how does he provide for them? How does he give them their daily bread? Manna. Every day, a new provision of daily bread, just enough for today. Not tomorrow, not this week. We don't put it in our fridges. It's today. Our daily bread. In the Proverbs, Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 30, the, the teacher in the book of Proverbs, the teacher in the book of Proverbs says, give me neither poverty nor riches, 
but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, I don't need you, God. And if I don't have enough, I may become poor and steal and profane or dishonor your name. Give me only my daily bread. For if I have too much, I may think, who needs God? I've got everything that I need. Right? This has just been normal for the ancient Jewish imagination, but this should challenge us in our worlds of Roth IRAs and 401ks and Bitcoin and obsessing about what the market's doing at any given point in time, right? Nest eggs. There's nothing wrong with building wealth for ourselves and trying to set up security long-term financially. There's nothing wrong with that inherently. But Jesus is calling us away from our obsession about building this business or building this stock and hedge fund, building this, building this retirement for myself that I can live, I'm living for my, the end of my life. And Jesus is saying, don't you dare live for the end of your life. Live right now. Don't obsess about the future. Don't spend your life trying to build something for yourself in the future. See, because today is all you have. Give us this, this day. Not tomorrow, not Tuesday, not Wednesday. Give us today our daily bread. We have a dear friend who we lost at 53 years old just a couple of weeks ago. Went to sleep and never woke up. Had no crazy health issues. We, it's just a mystery. And friends, Mark is reminding us Live today. Mark had all sorts of assets and savings and things that his family is now pouring into, but you know, he doesn't get to spend it. He just had today. You and I, we, we aren't promised anything but today. That's it. So when you interact with the people around you this morning as you make your way out, know that you've got today. You've got that interaction with them. Nothing else is promised to you. This is a contemplative prayer. Live fully rooted in this moment right here. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors, Jesus says. I'm winding down. I'm almost done, friends. Forgive us our debts as we, free, we also forgive our debtors. Now, if you've been around for about a month or so and been around the Sermon on the Mount, you know that this idea of debt was a huge, huge dynamic in the ancient Near East and Jesus world, in the Jewish world. Indebtedness was a plague in the ancient Jewish world. And People didn't have daily bread. Not everybody had daily bread. But because of the, the Roman taxation rates, which some can't say went up to 90%, and then those in power would tax because you're the Romans are taking all my money. I got to take all the, all the common people's money who had nothing. And so it was just this common weight of debt and indebtedness. This is an economical prayer. And Jesus says, not in my kingdom. Your world is riddled with indebtedness. And when you're indebted to someone, you're kind of less than, aren't you? You get to hold it over them. You get to save that up in the back of your mind. They owe me. 
And Jesus says, not in my economy. See, in my economy, debts are forgiven freely. You've been forgiven. And so I want you to forgive others. Now, this is where I have a little bit of a problem on the face value of this, of this prayer, of this moment, where it seems like this quid pro quo formulaic economic thing where if you want to be forgiven, right, you better forgive others. Do you feel the tension there? Paul says we're, we're saved by grace through faith alone. And what helps me here, friends, is seeing this not as a formula, but seeing it as a flow. See, if I see it as a formula, I get really, I get really obsessed with, with the numbers and with if, am I forgiving enough to be forgiven. And I'm forgiving people so that I can be forgiven, right? And in, in, instead of a formula, it's this flow where you've been forgiven. Now, don't you want to just step into that flow of forgiveness and forgive others around you? It's not a formula. It's this flow, this cycle that you get, we get sucked up in. And because you've been forgiven, now it's your turn to forgive the debts of the people who you feel owe you something, the people who have sinned against you. You've been caught up in this flow, and now it's your turn. And not just your turn to begrudgingly forgive, but to delightfully forgive. So quickly, I want you, if you feel comfortable with it, close your eyes. Who is it in your world who you feel owes you something, who's sinned against you? Who you hold a debt against. Who is it? Picture them in your mind. Picture them and hold them in, in your vision, in your view for just a couple seconds longer. And now if you have it in you, I want to invite you to step into the flow and just release them of that debt. Release them. Forgive them. You don't have to call them when you leave. You don't have to do anything. You can just, just step into that flow of forgiveness and forgive them because you've been forgiven. Something just happened right there. Big group of people stepped into the flow of forgiveness and released what they felt was owed them. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that is in heaven. Step into the flow. And then we get to the last one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So Jesus now, is, is, there's, we find this, this flow of forgiveness and this flow of new life, new kingdom life. Jesus is now directing us to the future and saying, God, would you deliver us? from evil, would you lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. See, what we find is there's not just one flow. But see, there's an, Jesus said, an evil one who's constantly trying to, to suck us into this different kind of flow, this flow of bitterness and anger and ugliness and brokenness and, and judgment and sin. 
If you felt, and it's not even, I, I couldn't even call it a flow. I'm going to call it a vortex. If, like we, it's not just the world around us that's been sucked up into this vortex. There is right now, the evil one is doing a number on the church and doing a number on our culture, sucking us into this vortex of partisanship and bitterness and, and, and anger and debates. Some of you walked in here today and you thought less of people wearing masks or less of people not wearing masks. Some of you walked in here today, like we, there's this, there's this battle with every single person in existence in our nation and it's this vortex sucking us into it and it takes a lot of strength not to get sucked into it, doesn't it? I mean, this is numerous times per day. I'm sucked in and reminded, dang it. See, there's this vortex from the evil one, and then there's this flow. It's like, it's like this, this whirlpool that sucks you in a tornado on one side, and then there's this babbling stream, this, this beautiful, gentle flow that is Jesus' way of forgiveness. One's really easy to get sucked up in. The other one you have to be pretty intentional about. The question is, which one are you going to join in with? Which flow? Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, this is where now I understand why the early church put this doxology on the end that, wasn't, that Jesus didn't put in, but the early church in Jewish prayers in, in general had this this practice of putting this hymn of worship on the end. And so they, the, basically the end of this prayer that we pray is this, this, this outburst of worship that says, this is so good. So Jesus, Father, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever and ever without end. This prayer, friends, that we say has so much more to it than what we mumbled through when we were 12 years old. This prayer is this reminder that I am the, at, the, at the foundation and bottom of my life, at the, at the, at the beginning of my story is a divine life that, is, that loves me like a father who is in heaven in this place where this ideal exists. The things that we long for, that we've been created for, really do exist. And that, that this God is altogether good and righteous and holy. And this God has a kingdom that he wants to bring over and against all the other kingdoms of this world. And this God has a will in heaven. And God dreams of bringing heaven and earth in, in marriage to have God's will being done on earth that is in heaven, in my life and in your life. And then there's this flow of forgiveness where our debts are released by God, and so we're free to release the debts that we have from those around us. And then it doesn't even just stop there, but God's saying there's this, there's this other flow that's going to try to suck you into it, and I want you to know that your Father's constantly calling you into the other way, into the other kingdom, into the other flow. This prayer, friends, means so much. So let's stand together, friends. And we're going to pray this together. I want to pray it a little slower than usual so you can think your way through it with me and fill yourself with all, the, all the, uh, that these words are filling our imaginations and our spirits with. And I'm going to say it. I know I, I told you I prefer trespasses, but I want to say it as Jesus said it. So we're going to say, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. All right? So say that with me. Let's practice. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then you can do what you want, but I'm going to get a little bit 
a little bit rowdy at the end when we start saying, for, that, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, because I'm just, I think I'm probably not going to be able to contain myself. You do what you want. But let's open our hands. Let's pray this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom in the power, in the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. And so Jesus, we pray this prayer receiving this challenge. Acknowledging that there is more to my existence than just me. That you are sustaining me. You have given me life and you love me with an unknowable love that I'll never get to the end of. You are my father. You are my parent. You are my mother. You, God, exist in this place where I dream and you dream of bringing heaven to earth. And we say that, God, your reputation precedes you. You you are altogether good and faithful and holy and righteous. There is no sin or brokenness within you and within your kingdom. We say, God, we want, we, we beg for your kingdom to come here on earth. We beg for your ways, your order, your ways of of operating in this world. Would your kingdom come? Would your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven? Would would refugees find home? Would orphans find family? Would would poverty not exist? Would racism be done away with? With, would, Would partisanship and politics be smashed to smithereens? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We give us this day our daily bread and just root us in the now, root us in today, root us in the interactions that we're about to have and let us be present for them. We, we ask you, Father, and we command, we would give us our bread this day our daily bread. There are some of us who that actually matters, that we don't know where our daily bread is going to come from. So would you provide for us, Father? Would you provide for all of us, not just some of us, all of us? Forgive us our debts. I owe you everything, and you forgive me. You say you owe me nothing, son. Come and partake in my kingdom. And so let me live in that flow of forgiveness. Let me live in that way that says you owe me nothing. You, the, the wrongs that you've committed against me, I do not hold against you. I seek because I live in this flow and this way of forgiveness. Let this be the kind of man I am. Let me live this out, Jesus. And when I'm given the choice on a moment-by-moment-by-moment basis in this world to judge people, to to put them in boxes, to, to to hold bitterness and anger and contempt against people who think differently than me about all sorts of things, would you let me live in this flow of love and goodness and life and embrace non judgmental Thank you for this prayer, Rabbi Jesus. Thank you for this prayer that reorders our our world and reminds us of what's real and true. Come and transform us with it. And so now we just proclaim that yours is the kingdom. 
Yours is all the power, even though there's these earthly kings and presidents and prime ministers who think that they have the power, they have authority. We proclaim that you, Jesus, and you alone sit on the throne and have power. Yours is the glory. Yours is the glory for redeeming all of humanity, for creating in love and then sustaining this thing and not leaving it and bringing about new creation. We give you glory for your heart that, that is that heaven would come. And so now we worship you, Jesus. We fill this place with worship and with these words that we get to not just speak out, but sing out. Yes, Lord. Let's worship one last time, friends.